Hi everyone, this is Amy. We have a great new episode all ready to go, our first of the new season, but we've decided to hold it for a week in light of what happened in our country yesterday. Instead, we thought that it would be more appropriate and helpful to rerun our episode from last season where we interview Katie Kennedy about her book, The Constitution Decoded, because I think we could all use to brush up on the Constitution a little bit. Enjoy. See you next week. Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy. I am here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru. Extraordinaire. Did I leave out the extraordinaire? (laughs) (laughs) What? Hello. (laughs) I left that piece out. Did I demote Andrea without meaning? Yeah. I'm no longer extraordinaire. (laughs) Oh, Today on the show, um, we thought it would be timely. We, we, we want to talk about the election because I, I don't know if we can talk about it anymore because um, it's killing all of us. So it just has to happen. <laughs> but we decided we would do something that maybe would help us all be a little more informed as citizens. So we have a guest on the show today, Katie Kennedy. She has just authored a book called The Constitution Decoded, a guide to the document that shapes our nation. And it's a really cool book because it takes the Constitution and then it breaks it down into like, what does that mean? Um, You know, they decode James Madison, (laughs) his rambling (laughs) run on sentences. Um, He did not have an editor, it seems. So we love this book. Like we learned a ton of stuff talking to her. And I think you will too. And, you know, as Amy pointed out at one point, like, don't you want to win arguments with people when they start thinking they're dropping like constitutional knowledge on you and they are exactly. wrong. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> holidays are coming up, people. Brush up. Um, but anyway, it's a great book and we will talk all about it and talk about the Constitution and talk about presidential beards a little bit or, or loser beards. I don't know. We have a very weird man conversation hair. ahead. Man, man hair. hair, I'm calling it. Ay, ay, ay. All right. We will be right back with Katie Kennedy. <laughs> We are back with Katie Kennedy. She is a college instructor of history and American government in Iowa. Thanks for joining us today, Katie. Thank you so much. We were super excited to have you on to talk about your book, The Constitution Decoded, um, a guide to the document that shapes our nation. We really wanted to have you on for so many reasons. <laughs> we saw this, um, you know, we kind of jumped at the chance because obviously the election is, you know, approaching very quickly and in many places people are already early voting um something that is not in the constitution i should say (laughs) they did not tell us how and when to vote um they just told us who except that it's done at the state level so we don't have a national vote it's done state by state i know we're gonna have to get into that i don't think people um realize the patchwork of laws that hold this country together and what is state and what is federal and where the constitution and maybe therefore the Supreme court comes into play in those questions. Um, I don't know. Maybe we'll just start there then since we've brought up election (laughs) rules and why, why my ballot in New York looks different than your ballot in Iowa and everything's different, right? Whenever you hear about how other people vote, I'm always like, wow, really? (laughs) Like that's how you do it. Yeah, well, it's a federal system. Uh, So we have both state level and national level um, governments. And uh, the supremacy clause in the Constitution makes it very clear that if a state law or a state constitution 
it's in conflict with a national or you know federal level law or constitution. Uh, it's the state that changes. Um, so a state can't um, write a law that a, you, a state can give people more rights, but it can't give them less uh, than what they get at the, the federal level. Um, and, and voting is one thing the Constitution says uh, will be done at the state level. Um, so that's why we don't all go down and have a uniform ballot, um, which of course would be difficult with local elections too. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting, even the mechanisms, right? Like it, now that we're in more modern times when we have different voting machine options or mail-in or digital, you know, it's interesting how much that's become a patchwork too and, and what that means in terms of, right. um, well, security or access. Well, and, it, you know, when George Washington was running for things um, and, and he didn't run for office back then, you stood for office. It was unseemly, ungentlemanly to act like you wanted it. Um, so you simply stood for office. Um, yeah, that was were... a really great criticism in Hamilton when they were like, dude is actually openly campaigning. What's <laughs> up with that? That's just embarrassing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, uh, well, Washington, when he was, uh, well, when they were trying to decide who would be the general uh, of the Continental Army against the British, uh, Washington said he didn't want it, but he did show up in his uniform every day uh, to remind, <laughs> yeah, just to remind people he had the experience. So, you know. False um, modesty. He was like, (laughs) well, one thing we forget about Washington is that in his day, he was a head turner. Um, He was considered pretty hot. And um, today we think of him as, you know, wooden teeth and uh, big nose and so on. But he was quite the head turner. Uh, Well, he was so tall. Well, and the broad shoulders Especially and the, the carriage, yeah. the confidence and so on. But I'm, I'm going a bit afield here. Um, I know. It's fun to talk about Washington. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't be talking about the hotness of the founding fathers, I guess. Um, anyway, we're talking about the, the elections and so on. And um, that it's, it's done on a state-by-state uh, basis, done on a patchwork kind of basis. Um, and, of course, the Electoral College um, plays into that, uh, that the states have their Electoral College votes. Um, and that's done on a state-by-state basis. So when you get into electoral college issues, which is a was a huge thing, um, and a, and a big um, source of a lot of interest to people today, I think that's done on a state by state basis, and that is part of what allows for some of the nuttiness uh, that has occurred uh, with the electoral college and some of the um, what many people feel uh, is a threat to democracy if if every option were utilized. I would love to talk about that a little bit because when I first when I first saw your book. You know, that was the first thing that appealed to me was I think so many people just don't really I mean, even though everyone knows we have an electoral college, I don't think people really understand that like two little counties in one state can completely sway an election. Yeah. Well, the um, one thing we tried to do with the Constitution Decoded was to to make just to make the document plain to people. Um, just to um, have the um, the text translated so that people could understand it themselves, give them the tools to understand it. But that being said, we did want to do the sidebars and make sure that people do understand that electoral college. I think most, at least most adults, understand that when you and I go to the polls, we don't vote for, say, Donald Trump or Joe Biden. We vote for the people who will then vote for them. Uh, and those people are called electors, which just means voter. They're, they're the people who will vo- actually do the voting. And so, of course, it's actually a much smaller vote. But there is no um, – there are a number of things that, that can go wrong with that um, or, or can 
produce anomalous results, perhaps I should say. One is that if there's a tie, it goes to the House of Representatives, or if one candidate doesn't get the majority, uh, it goes to the House of Representatives. And once it's in the House of Representatives, each state gets one vote. Uh, so Delaware gets the same amount of votes as California. So while, um, for example, right now, if Joe Biden and, and Donald Trump were to tie on November 3rd, or 4th, or 5th, or 6th, or <laughs> however this works out. Election um, month. Right. Democrats hold the House of Representatives, but if you go up by state by state one vote, um, Republicans have the majority because there are more states but fewer people uh, for the GOP. But in 1824, there were five candidates who were running. Andrew Jackson was the kind of the dark horse. He was from out west in Tennessee. Uh, nobody took him that seriously. Um, always a mistake with Jackson. Uh, always take him seriously. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, the president most likely to shoot you. It was always what I, yeah. I figured. But, and he walked around with several bolts in his body. But um, anyway, Jackson won the most popular votes. But um, of course, it's the Electoral College that elects you. He also won the most Electoral College votes. But he did not win a majority. He got a plurality. He got more than anybody else, but not more than half because there were five candidates. Uh, so it went to the House of Representatives and they chose somebody else. And Jackson's supporters were outraged. Uh, their man got the most popular anti-electoral college votes and did not become president in 1824. So that obviously was a kind of an interesting situation. Uh, it, after the Civil War, when uh, Ulysses S. Grant, the victorious Union general, was running for re-election, uh, he was running against Horace Greeley, a New York newspaper man. Greeley, by the way, has the finest neck beard in American history, in my opinion. <laughs> uh, everyone should should uh, do run a search, an image search for some pictures of him. Um, he had quite the mane around, you know, clean shaven chin. Uh, but uh, after the uh, the popular election, but before the electoral college met, Greeley died. Um, now, oh my God, that's my fear. That's like my fear right now. <laughs> well. Um, it, it's it's an intriguing sort of thing. Now, granted, won and he had won very clearly and convincingly, so that took a lot of the pressure okay. off. Um, <laughs> and so Grant got his electoral college votes. They didn't know what to do with the others. The Constitution didn't say, so they simply split them up among some minor candidates, and it all it didn't change the result. It worked okay, but that was strange. Um, yeah, that's like everybody got a participation trophy. There you go. That's a nice way to look at it. There you go. That's the beginning of that. <laughs> you know, one of the things I was really surprised about, um, last week the New York Times in their daily podcast did one on the Electoral College, and I I was shocked to learn so many things. Um, mm -hmm. One that I thought, you know, I thought I knew a lot, but I did not know enough about the Electoral College. And one was that in the Constitution, it does not say how the states should apportion um, those votes towards the – and so – and that James Madison was – very upset when he saw states were doing winner take all, that their intention had been, or his intention, was that the electors would be divided up in proportion to the popular vote they got in each state, and not that the majority that wins the state, the popular vote, that all the electors would then go to that person. Yeah, well, and, um, you know, the founders and the, the framers of the Constitution didn't all um, agree on every issue which is one of the, the difficulties of originalism, of trying to figure out what the document meant originally, because they didn't all agree on things. And well, that's why the, um, but, but you're right on that. Um, the Bill of Rights, uh, sometimes people will say, well, obviously, you know, the Fifth Amendment is more important than the Eighth because it's listed first or earlier. That has nothing to do with it. Um, when um, they were trying to decide how they would deal with amendments, uh, James Madison wanted to insert them into the original document. 
uh, in the place where they would logically go. And so something legislative would go in Article 1 and so on, something executive in Article 2. And, um, and Roger Sherman wanted to list them at the end. Um, but Sherman, uh, of course, Sherman wins. I mean, we, they are listed at the end of the document, 27 amendments at this point. Um, but while he was, you know, kind of killing time in a meeting, Sherman simply listed them in the order that they would be uh, slid into the original document if that's what they wound up doing. Um, and then when it's time to paste them at the end, obviously he just, you know, slapped in the list that he had. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes there are, that's, that's how some things wind up happening, right? And even right. with the Electoral College, um, you know, the framers had to create this Frankenstein's monster that they hoped was a Frankenstein's beauty uh, of a government and then electrify it and set it into motion without being able to try it a few ways this way and that way. So they put the Electoral College in and just hoped it would work. But one thing I think um, a lot of people don't know about that and that is um, more in play now than it ever has been is the Constitution does not require the states to hold a popular vote. Mm -hmm. It simply says that they will choose how to apportion the electors. Um, but after the Bush v. Gore election, it, where Florida was the the big sticking point and all eyes were on Florida, uh, the Florida state legislature, uh, which was uh, you know controlled by one party, in that case the Republican Party, um, considered simply negating the popular vote if it came out, you know, not the way they wanted, and announcing that Florida's electoral votes went to Bush. Um, that could happen. Um, it typically would not happen after a vote because people get right. a little dicey about that. <laughs> um, but a governor could simply announce, um, you know, uh, Montana's governor, New York's governor could simply announce that the Electoral College votes go to this or that candidate uh, without giving the people a chance to vote at all. And, or a state legislature could do that. So if you had enough state legislatures or um, governors of a particular party, um, and typically there's a majority of one party or the other, I mean, almost by default, right? Um, and you had some sort of authoritarian strongman who wanted to essentially seize power, um, you, someone who was not devoted to democracy and the, the will of the people, uh, they could simply announce that this is who they voted for and this is who's won. So you could have a heavily democratic state with a Republican governor, a heavily Republican state with a Democratic governor, uh, and simply have that person announce. Um, and then once you have someone in power like that, it gets harder and harder uh, to preserve your democratic institutions because there's a lot they can do to undermine them. Um, so it's a, uh, it's a fascinating quirk of the Electoral College. You know, I, I, I think I may have listened to the same podcast on the Electoral College as Rebecca, yeah. or maybe it was <laughs> the Washington Post, but I also learned a ton in it that I wasn't aware of, including how close the United States actually came from overturning the Electoral College. Do you think that, that there's ever a chance of that happening? Um, well, I'm guessing, of course. <laughs> I, I'm not an oracle, so I, I, I'm <laughs> Optimum guessing. Optimum word, think. <laughs> yes. Um, um, I, I suspect that because so many more people are paying attention to politics and to elections right now, um, and it appears from the early voting that people are really energized and um, interested, um, I would think um, that there will be more attention paid to that. Now, right now, the Electoral College um, favors the GOP, uh, and so Republican lawmakers would not have any incentive uh, to change it. And so that's, you know, that could be an issue. But I, I do think that there will be a, another look at that. It, you know, it, it would take a constitutional remedy, either a new convention um, or a, an amendment in order to change that. So it, it's, a, it's a major fix. 
Um, but I do think that there's probably enough interest and enough attention paid right now. And I don't think there are very many Americans who want to give up their right to vote for president of all things. Um, right. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, it's it is one of those, you know, we haven't had when was the last amendment? Was it the right for 18 year olds? Was that the last? No, that the, the, 27th, last the, the 27th Amendment is it actually it's a fascinating story, but it was um, proposed by James Madison. And Madison did not, our most recent one, it says that Congress can't vote itself a pay raise, um, ah. which just means that if they vote a pay raise, it's after the next election before it goes into effect. But um, a 19-year-old college student in Texas found out that James Madison, when he proposed what became the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments, had actually proposed 12 amendments. Uh, and being the very first ones, and they were just learning what they were doing, Madison did not put a time limit on those on those amendments. And so Gregory Watson, this this uh, student at, at the University of Texas, uh, wrote a paper for his class saying that he thought the other two were still in play because 10 were ratified. One would no longer make sense. It, 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 was, it had to do with the House of Representatives and that the population today makes it not make sense. Mm -hmm. But uh, the other one was, was this uh, Congress can't vote itself a pay raise. And he argued that there states continued to uh, to ratify them, uh, it could become a constitutional amendment. His teacher was not impressed and gave him a C. Uh, <laughs> and Watson was mad about his grade. Uh, and so he began writing to state legislatures, asking them to ratify this amendment to, so that he could be proven right, basically. And right then, Congress did vote itself a pay raise, and a lot of people got mad about it. And um, states began, in fact, to ratify uh, that constitution. Um, a, a lot of them. I mean, it took very few had done it at that point, but they got to the point where, um, you know, enough states ratified it. And there, since there was no time limit, so it's the, the constitution, the amendment that took the longest uh, from the time it was proposed until the That's time that it um, so uh, came to you. But 35 years after she gave him a C, uh, Watson's teacher <laughs> changed his grade to an A. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. The power of one irritated student, right? That's so funny. I wish we could do that with the Equal Rights Amendment. Like, I feel like that started to gain um, some steam over the past couple of years, and it's so close. Well, it, it actually, yeah, the problem is that that one did have right. um, a, a time limit put in, so it does need to be restarted. Um, but um, but there has been, right, there has been some momentum. So if they, they put it back in. Uh, or if they simply fail to put any kind of time limit on it. <laughs> right. That's so interesting. You know, we're, we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of, um, of different amendments. But what I love about the book is that whichever one you want to talk about, whichever one you want to argue about on Facebook, it's laid out so well. Like you can just go to the part that you want to talk about. The actual text is laid out on one page and then like a real simple English translation on the next page. It is so concise and so clear. And it seems kind of geared towards students, but I think every American adult could get something out of this book. Oh, thank you. We were trying to give people the tools to to understand the document themselves. Um, the, the first draft they asked me, the publisher asked me to do it as a kind of a summary. And it's so much easier to be clear and to be concise and to, to sound good uh, when you do it that way. But then we looked at it and, and I didn't like it and the editor didn't like it um, because, you know, it's easy to tell somebody what it says, but we wanted them to be able to read it themselves mm -hmm. and 
to understand themselves what it says. Uh, so we read it the whole thing um, and and put it in so that it's side by side uh, translations, which was hard uh, because James Madison was a fan of the passive voice, um, <laughs> and he and he had some naughty naughty sentences that you know a few of those things uh, with it, especially about the Electoral College just go on and on and on, and so we had to divide them up into smaller chunks. Um, so he, he gave me a few uh, linguistic problems. Um, James and I are not as close as we once were, but but that was a, a fun thing to do. And there were a few little things that I would have liked to have put in. We, we started with many, many more history sidebars. Uh, and then the editor pointed out it should not be a thousand page book. Um, <laughs> and um, for example, James Madison had a frostbite scar on his nose. Uh, and I, I thought that was information that kids should have. Um, <laughs> But that, that's why I'm not an editor. Well, you know, what you said about Horace Greeley, I immediately went and looked it up and wow, that is quite the neck beard. <laughs> right, right. Do you see my point? I mean, yeah. there is some, there is something for everyone in there and it, it does make you want to do a little bit more research to further your own knowledge, I have yeah. to say. <laughs> well, we thought too that especially with all the distance learning right now and so many people homeschooling who didn't plan to uh, or aren't really prepared um, we've heard from a lot of adults, parents, and, and teachers who have a copy hidden in their drawer, <laughs> um, and you know to help them uh, help their students understand the document. And I'm just so glad that that it's helping people. You know, I do want to ask about one thing because whenever you know somebody says something outrageous, which seems to have happened a lot in the last four years, <laughs> people and people start yelling "free speech, free speech." I have a right to free speech, and I just it it just boggles my mind how misused and how misunderstood that is. Yeah. You know, where you have to explain to people. You can get up on a street corner and say whatever you want to say against the government, but you cannot in a private institution like a school or a college or a, you know, even a social media site that's, you know, has rules. You you are not entitled to say what you want to say. You have to follow those rules. Um, you know, I think that just people just think that that means you can say anything you want anywhere. Well, yeah, and usually it's a matter of saying something insulting or threatening to somebody else. Free speech is a complicated thing. For example, um, the Constitution says what the Supreme Court says it says. It's, it means what the court says. Um, and so that is the body that interprets it. Um, and it has changed slightly over time. And I mean, John Adams' uh, administration, a Federalist administration, Adams, the second president, put in a sedition law, uh, making it illegal to criticize the president, making it illegal to publicly criticize uh, anything the government had done. I don't know anybody uh, who has not criticized something that the president or the government at some level, you know, um, they haven't criticized something in the past week. But, but with the um, John Adams administration, a uh, Federalist administration, um, and Adams is the second president, put in a sedition law, which made it illegal to um, say anything against the president, anything that would um, make him uh, put him in, in ill repute. Uh, so you couldn't criticize the president. Um, they made it or anything the government had done. They didn't protect the vice president because at the beginning of the country, whoever got the most votes, the electoral college votes, became president, and whoever was second became vice president. So crazy. Um, the Constitution was written before the U.S. had political parties and with the assumption that the U.S. would not have political parties. So that's one of the things, uh, like when you see a straight um, party line vote on impeachment, uh, they never anticipated that. They thought people would simply look at um, charges and, and not vote on partisan interests, but on, you know, uh, 
for the good of their country if the person was not guilty or, or if the person was guilty. Um, so there are some things that perhaps um, the party system has, has mucked up a bit. But you, can you imagine Donald Trump with Joe Biden as his vice president or Joe Biden with Donald Trump as his vice president? Oh or Donald um, Trump with Hillary or the other way around. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so clearly crazy. that doesn't work. Um, and that's been changed. In, uh, in fact, uh, poor Thomas Jefferson tied with his vice president at one point because uh, what they were supposed to do was have one of the electors was supposed to not vote for vice president because the ballots didn't make it clear who you were voting for. It just had the person's name, but not which office. And everybody knew who was running for president and who for vice president. Um, but his vice presidential candidate was Aaron Burr. Um, the great scoundrels of American history, um, the guy who shot Hamilton, the guy who tried to uh, detach the Western United States, cross the U.S., its Western territories, um, the guy who tried to get England to invade the United States in its later life, certainly an American traitor, and um, Burr decided to go for it. Uh, so when he found that he was tied with Jefferson, Jefferson expected him just to step back and say, well, yeah, I'm, obviously I'm the VP, and Burr didn't do that. And it went to the House of Representatives because it was a tie, um, even though it was the two running mates, not not Jefferson and the guy he was running against. And they took 36 ballots before Paul Thomas Jefferson is standing there with his mouth hanging open, <laughs> uh, staring at them, right? Uh, take 36 votes uh, before they decide that, yeah, they will give it to Thomas Jefferson. Um, but that had to be changed as well so that it's clear uh, if you're voting for president or for vice president. So that can't happen. Yeah, that does seem like something that should be clear. A recipe yeah. for disaster. Right? Uh, you know, I'm starting to wonder, the more we talk about this, why we are held up as a beacon of democracy. <laughs> well, I believe, actually, um, I, I, it's possible that I'm wrong in this, but actually I believe that our rating of that has slipped and we no longer are considered um, a sort of, you know, top-flight democracy. That seems right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, let's hope not in the long run. Yeah. Well, and you, you'd asked about um, free speech, and I, I'm sorry, I, I think I got away from that a bit. Um, but there are limits to that. Fraudulent advertising, child pornography, things like that that the court has ruled. Um, you can't shout fire in a crowded theater was the example that was given, because obviously that's life-threatening. On the other hand, you have cases like Tinker v. Des Moines, um, where Mary Beth Tinker during the Vietnam War wore a black armband to school um, and got in trouble for it. And um, uh, her parents took it to the Supreme Court and won. Um, and the court ruled that you do not students do not lose their freedom of speech at the schoolhouse gates. You don't give up your freedom uh, of speech. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about the Constitution? What's the one thing you hear repeated over and over again that you say to yourself, no, that's not the Constitution? <laughs> <laughs> well, in my family, people claim to have a constitutional right to the last piece of pie, um, <laughs> which is definitely not in there. I've looked. Uh, I do want the last piece of pie. Um, I think it is freedom of speech. Um, I think people believe that they have the right to say anything they want regardless of consequences. Um, and it's that regardless of consequences, it's, it's an issue. I have had students argue seriously, not not trying to be funny, on more than one occasion, multiple occasions, that what they wrote on their exam is correct because they have freedom of speech. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's funny, but also appalling, right? Um, right. So that, that literally I have to give them an A because that's their opinion. And because it's that's their opinion, that makes it right. Um <laughs> I, I had a couple of students in American government classes who were, well, it, it was in Michigan. They were Michigan militia members, so 
those folks have been in the news recently and oh. I, I looked for their their names but they were not among the the people um who were trying to kidnap and, and murder the governor but um but both of them these separate classes um came up and simply told me about their plans to overthrow the government both of them said you start by shooting police officers because it reduces the number of police officers you have to deal with and also they'll be focused on the murder of their own more than what's going on outside you know so you start by simply randomly shooting some, some police officers but um both of them felt very strongly uh, passionately that they had a right to overthrow the government and the constitution gives them the right to overthrow the government violently um by shooting people including their neighbors i'm sorry these were students of yours uh, they, yes they were um <laughs> in both cases they were middle-aged i teach college um but they were students who simply randomly during a class break told me about their plans to violently overthrow the united states government and um and they, they based that on the feeling that they did not have representation in Congress. And if they did not have representation, they had the right to overthrow the government. The government was a tyranny. And I said, what makes you feel you don't have representation? Well, their candidate lost the election. Um, so in both cases, I, I said, that's not a lack of representation. That's losing uh, an election. And that happens to everybody. And it happens about half the time. And you need to get used to it. And I also pointed out to both that their willingness to violently overthrow the United States government um, or to attack elected officials, um, that makes them a domestic enemy. Um, yeah. And in both cases, I, I got an escort to walk me back to my car because they were truly scary people. Oh. Um, but I, th I thought they needed to know that. But the idea that if you lose the election, you don't have representation. Um, so the person, your senator, your representative, uh, does not represent you. I, I have elected officials I didn't vote for and I did vote against, um, but tough for me. That doesn't mean I get to shoot them. That you know that doesn't mean that um, that I get to overthrow the government. Um, and I do think that that's why um, you know the rhetoric that uh, you know our, our current president likes to spout off about how you know he's. You know what? Let me let me say the opposite. Biden's claim that he will be the the president of everybody is so important because even if you didn't vote for him, he is your representative. And that's that's so important. Absolutely. And any elected official needs to understand that they are uh, the representative. They, they are supposed to represent the interests of all of their constituents, whether it's a state representative or, or a senator who represents their whole state or, or whomever, or the president. Uh, who is supposed to take care of the whole country, whether or not a certain group of people, um, you know, it, it didn't vote for you doesn't matter. You don't allocate respirators to the people who voted for you um, or something like that. That's just not how you do that. And people need In to- In a normal world, you wouldn't do that. No. But as New Yorkers, um, I can tell you, it is, it is um, it's an interesting thing to be on the other end of that um, where I think it's the first, well, it's not the first time in my life because I've lived in New York for my whole life, um, when Ford told, told New York to drop dead. But, um, it is, it is a weird thing, I think, when, um, it's, when the politicians twist around those ideas, um, rather than the populace. Like I, I, not that I understand a disgruntled voter being upset that their person lost, but sure. to that extreme, but I, I get the initial you know, feeling of being sad your person lost, whereas seeing people who have been put into those positions of power um, decide they don't want to represent 
everyone it seems very strange. And I, I, I do wonder, I and mean, there's nothing in the Constitution, right, that says once you're president, you are president for all. Um, well, it just is there. <laughs> is there a constitutional thing we can use here? <laughs> that, that was assumed. Um, right. right. I mean, it's a norm, right? Do. It's a human, it's a human thing, but it's not. I mean, there's nothing um, in the constitution that says that, you know, you should put the toilet seat down, but, but you should. Right. <laughs> um, maybe that's a 28th amendment. I don't know. Um, maybe they didn't have to worry about that because there were no women in the uh, government for a go. long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a crazy time. So I you know, I have one last question for you, and it is about the Supreme Court. Sure. Um, it has seemed in the last I don't know how long, maybe thirty years, forty years, that the Supreme Court the checks and balances are a little out of whack. Yes, they are. And that this and we have the Supreme Court has been almost um, I don't want to say making laws, but because Congress hasn't really, it feels like the Supreme Court has been the arbiter of like how we're going to do things, what the law should be rather than just interpreting the constitution. Am I crazy? Like, is that, is that happening? Um, the court has been more activist in, in some ways. Um, and typically liberals are happier with that. And conservatives um, are not happy with that, but both sides um, typically are okay with it. If it goes in their favor. Right. <laughs> so for example, um, you know, in 2000, the Supreme Court decided the presidential election. You know, nothing could be more activist than that, basically. But since they decided for Bush, or decided to stop the count so that they, they were not allowed to recount um, and, and check any, you know, the anomalies, they effectively decided for, for Bush. Um, conservatives did not launch any complaints about that, where that would be. So, so both parties will, and both, both groups, um, ends of the political spectrum, like anybody else, you know, if it goes your way, you're happy with it. Um, it's it's going to be a very interesting situation now. We for the first time we have um, a majority of the Supreme Court appointed by the loser uh, of the popular election, and um, the idea that there could be a majority on the court, which has such wide influence and such huge ripple effects. Um, people talk about Roe v. Wade, but uh, Griswold v. Connecticut in 1965. Mm -hmm was the decision that made it legal for married couples to use contraception. And the right to use contraceptives is based on the same foundation as Roe. So when Roe goes, the right to use contraceptives could as well. And um, potential for, for IVF, you know, fertilization and some things like that. I don't want to upset anybody who's, I, I think people should not, um, we're dealing with fertility issues right now, should not panic and should not, um, I don't want to, you know, cause more pain for people. But it will be interesting to see once you knock that foundation down, how far that will go. My guess is, and this is just a guess, that contraception use will probably be safe. I don't think there are a lot of states that want to go after that. Um, but, um, but someone could, could launch a challenge to that. So interesting times. But yeah, it's checks and balance. The, the presidency has, um, for over 100 years now, has been in ascendancy. Um, Congress has not been perhaps um, doing its duty. And the court now has a majority uh, appointed by by the minority. Wow, that's a cheery note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, no, but it's you know what? Fault. You you point out why it's so important to vote, why it's so important it to understand the Constitution, which is the foundation of our country, and not just let other people tell you what it says. Absolutely. But like, get the book. Yep. <laughs> this is a revolutionary moment uh, in our history, and. 
when you have a revolution, everything is on the table. So you don't just have to go back to the status quo. It is possible to remake the world and make a better uh, society, make a better country. So as the people go to the polls and as they vote, um, this, this beautiful, beautiful experiment of self-government, of the right of the people to control their own destinies, we have the chance not just to retrieve the, the vision that we've, we've had and perhaps never quite lived up to, uh, but to, even to make a better country. So go vote. Well, yeah, so go vote. Yes. <laughs> go vote because it matters. It does matter. It does matter. All right. Well, thank you so much, Katie. Thank this you. was a great discussion. We'll have a link to the book where the people can find the Constitution decoded. Um, yeah, decode it, people. <laughs> like it's, it, it needs to be. Um, this was great. If thank only you to so win much. arguments with your relatives. Exactly. That's right. Exactly. that's worth everything you might be having a zoom thanksgiving don't you want you could all read the constitution <laughs> together and uh <laughs> well we're doing argue. Zoom thanksgiving and I, I hadn't thought of that but that's a, a way to make sure we never get invited back i guess so <laughs> <laughs> it's on zoom who needs to be invited so. <laughs> mm, good point <laughs> well thank you so Thanks much so much katie okay. thank, thank you, you. bye bye we will be right back with our bites of the week so Halloween is going to look a little different this year, but just because you don't have tons of treats doesn't mean you're going to have to have lots of tricks. Amy, I know you're doing something really cool with your trick-or-treating setup. Yeah, I was going to say, I have tons of treats, and I, I may end up with all of them if there's no trick-or-treating, <laughs> but I, I figure it's better to have them and just have them left over than to not have them and have people like banging on my door, begging for candy. So I'm going to be at the top of my stoop wrapped in like five blankets with probably a space heater out there because it's supposed <laughs> to be cold. And I've got this PVC pipe chute that attaches to my my railing with um, with little ties. And so I'm more than six feet away from the trick-or-treaters. They could just put their bag underneath the bottom and I can shoot candy down to them. Look at you. You're so like imaginative and on it. You made your own project. Well, if you are a parent out there wondering how you're still going to make trick-or-treating fun and people aren't putting up really cool shoots all over your neighborhood, <laughs> check out KiwiCo hands-on science and art projects so your little ghoulies won't go batty with boredom. Instead, they'll be inspired by KiwiCo's fun, innovative, creative problem-solving crates and they get delivered right to your door. It's kind of like trick-or-treating comes to you with only the treat. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so if your child wants super cool hands-on crates delivered every month, this is what you should check out. KiwiCo. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Or teenager, like... Don't, oh my god! It's, it isn't just kids. I had so much fun with my son doing this. It was like we we had a blast, and it was actually right before he went to to live with my mom for a while with his grandmother. So it's like such a happy memory of the last activity that we did together, and um and I still have it. Like it's not just something that you do right then and then you're done with it. Like after we built this thing, this light box. Now there are a whole bunch of activities that I can do with my daughter because now they say, okay, now you can take tape and you can make this maze and you can do this. And like, so it's it's not just like a one-time thing and then you're done. They also give you follow-up activities with the thing that you built, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that's so great too, because we're running out of things for our kids to do, right? <laughs> Everyone out there is like, please. So if you could do something that's like engaging and hands-on and creative and then use it again in a different way. 
that's what you're looking for. Right now, you can get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash parenting. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash parenting. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? Well, as I sit here shivering in my office, um, it's getting cold in parts of the country. It's definitely feeling like fall. Halloween's coming up, and I just made the mistake of looking at the forecast. It's going to be like 40 degrees while I'm sitting on my stoop. I'm that not never happens. Forward to, I know. Ugh, 2020, man. Um, <laughs> but I got an email from New York Times Cooking a few days ago that just seemed perfect for this this time of year, um, when not only do you want a bunch of like warm casserole soupy type things um yeah but it's also um it's a great collection of recipes it's 20 dishes that taste better on the second or third day oh Oh, i need that now because i'm only cooking for two and i don't have the recipes because i don't have the patience for that so i have so many leftovers right and but like it's if it's a leftover that tastes great a few days later then oh just so good so like you know if you make a, a a big pot of um chickpea vegetable soup with parmesan um, curried shepherd's pie, you know, like all these, these, and, and they're desserts too. There's some desserts in there too. So it's just a great collection. And I will put a link to it because um, I don't want to make the meat ones, but there are a lot of vegetarian ones in there too. Something for okay. everybody. All right. Yum. I too am cooking for two. Uh, for one. <laughs> but I say two because uh, my downstairs neighbor doesn't like to cook. She's 80 and she's, you know, she just eats frozen food with high sodium, which is so bad. So whenever I cook, I actually do like last night, I gave her a really good um, chicken with diced tomatoes and fresh basil from my garden, and sauteed spinach, because I try to make her eat vegetables. <laughs> so I do try to cook for two. And then I freeze like one or two leftover portions. So Oh, these would be great for that. That would be awesome. Um, okay, so my bites, I actually have two, kind of quick. Um, one is the Lincoln Project, which we've talked about and we all love. Um, they had... Wait, a- I don't love them. You don't love them? <laughs> yeah, don't let I, me in. Okay. I was going to say, I, I love, what, I love they what they do. do. I don't love them. Okay, uh, that's fair. Yes. And I think I I'm very dubious about what they're going to do with the money that's left over after the election. Well, I'm, I'm, very I'm curious dubious. about don't what give happens them money. to them after the election. That's what I want to know. They go back to being Republicans who chose Sarah Palin as John McCain's running. Yeah. That's what they do. Okay, so then let me rephrase. <laughs> but anyway, go I ahead. I love what they're doing, and I love some yes, of their ads, and I love what they're standing for at this moment in time yes and they just came out with a new video i think it's like a minute long it's called goodnight america and it's a mom who goes in to wake up her son the morning after election night and he says who won and she says trump and it goes from there and it's just mind-boggling and it just gave me goosebumps and so i'm not gonna give it away but go watch it 
it's it's, it's a like riff a on the Reagan one. commercial. Yeah, right? the morning it's in a America. Riff on yes. Morning in America. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, yeah, and then the other one is very self promoting. <laughs> if you're getting a new iPhone 12, I started out last week writing 12 great cases for your new iPhone 12, and it turned into 21 cases for your iPhone 12. <laughs> oh my goodness! I kept finding more and more, and now I think I'm going to have to go buy an iPhone 12 because I found. All these amazing cases from, you know, my my candy shell inked from spec with flowers and purple to like solid colors to the beautiful nomad leather cases and folio cases. And then um, there's a bandolier over the shoulder cross body strap case with folio slots. So all you need to do is carry your phone, you know, with your credit cards or your license hands-free. I love them. So that got posted yesterday on Techlicious, and I will um, put up a link to that because if you're looking for a new iPhone, check them out, or looking for a new iPhone case, check them out. Wow. I like that Andrew's getting a new phone just for the case. Just for the case, because <laughs> I can get a new purple uh, flower case. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. All right. So my bite this week, it's also food. Um there we're heading into i'm not even going to talk about covid although i guess i have to to intro why i'm doing this my one of my daughters is in quarantine right now because she was contact traced because one of her good friends tested positive by the way false positive has now had a negative test we're waiting for the second negative test so she might be getting out of quarantine early um and not 14 days if his second test comes back negative as well anyway that's a different story um but she's been in quarantine and she actually has a cold so then she was convinced she had covid but now she's had two negative tests in a row so she just has a good old-fashioned cold um and so she's in quarantine, which is very sad. And they sort of deliver sad meals to them every day Aww. in quarantine. Like you sort of get what you get and you can't, don't get to choose. So there is a company called Grandma's Chicken Soup. Aww. And they, it's really good soup. I'm very picky about chicken soup. Um, it's like real chicken and delicious broth and carrots and celery and big giant noodles. And it comes in a big giant like jar with a huge mug that you could eat the soup in because that was key because she has no even though she's in a quarantine apartment it had no utensils no plates no anything oh my god but this comes in a mug that she could microwave the soup in and it's amazing like you you can send it to anyone who's sick or maybe they just need a little care they have also you can do it with um challah you could do it with mac and cheese you could do it with both um and they ship all around the country it comes in this awesome box it basically says like somebody loves you um (laughs) but it's really an awesome i don't know it was really fun and i had i just wanted to send her chicken soup like it was so sad that she was sick um, and I didn't want her just opening like a can of Progresso <laughs> from the grocery store. Also, she had nothing to make it in. Um, so <laughs> this is like genuine homemade chicken soup. So it's grandma's chicken soup. You know, it has to be good because there's like a little old grandma on the box. It would be <laughs> almost better if it was Bubby's. <laughs> it, I think there is. I mean, there probably is Bubby's. She, um, it is funny. Like her tagline says, my family says I make the most delicious chicken soup this side of the Mississippi and north of Boca. Oh, so I'm like, okay, she's got to be Jewish. <laughs> right. Okay. She's just not doing Bubby. Not doing the Bubby no thing. One, no one outside of like the Northeast knows what that is. Right. right. Um, Which, by the way, so, means grandma. Right. In Yiddish. So 
Anyway, Grandma's that chicken is soup. Such an awesome thing you're doing for her, Rebecca. That's such a. But mom how thing. sad is it that she's like in this bare apartment without you, utensils? I mean, I knew when when um the she when she was moving onto campus that getting COVID was a possibility. Um, but I never really thought about what it feels like if your kid gets sick that far away from you. Yeah. And I mean, she only has a cold, but. You know, when she her friend tested positive and then she had a sore throat and then she, I was like, oh, my God, like, am I going to fly there? Like, and I couldn't even see her anyway if I did. Like, you're just sort of all of a sudden they're adults and they have to, like, get the medicine delivered and call health services and check. It. I don't know. It all of a sudden felt very far away. So no, I don't care how old you are when you're sick. You want you your need mom. your mama. I know. And also, like, they moved her to, you know, a weird apartment, quarantine house apartments. And they, I told, um, I was telling Amy before the show started, they come in a golf cart and they take you away. Oh, my God. Did they give you <laughs> yeah, time to pack? They give you an hour to pack, oh, basically. It's like being and fired. Yes. It's and like- they give you a packing <laughs> list. And you're like, she's like shoving her. I said to her, bring your own duvet. You're going to want your own sheets. And she was like, thank God I brought it. I'm like, I told you, like, you know. Mm. Um, but you know, then she's just in this apartment and I mean, she has friends there cause obviously they were all quarantined together cause they were all contact traced together. Oh um, my God. but it's a very weird thing. It's just very weird. She's called us more in the past three days and I've heard from her all semester, Aww. I think, but it's she's lonely. It's weird. Yeah. Anyway, that is our show for today. Those are our bites. We will have links to everything we talked about today on the show at parentingbites.com. You can also go to our show page at facebook.com slash parentingbites, where you will find links to our episodes. You can leave us comments, tell us what you'd like us to talk about, tell us what you think of the Constitution, tell us how voting went. I'm dying. The voting stories are fascinating to me. People waiting in line for three hours, four hours. Like, I love it. Dedication. Um, Dedication, but also (laughs) ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, early voting. There's not enough of it in New York, so that's like a whole other story. But anyway, please rate, review, subscribe, and share wherever you are listening to us now. And until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.